Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 374, Five Ways to Keep Your Brain Sharp and Your Love Life Strong. We're going to have Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny on the show in just a minute, but I want to just say hello. My name is Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. A woman of value is somebody who shows up, stands up, and speaks up for what's important to her, and that has been the major focus of my work, whether it is through working with women to find love or working with women to value themselves more at work, which is a newer career that I started last year. And um, every week I bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value. This week's tip is if you want something, ask for it. Ah, man, so many people say, I'm not really good at asking for things. I've heard this this morning in one of my groups that I coach, and I heard it from every single client pretty much. And I, I think asking for things is vulnerable. It is scary, especially if you have asked in the past and you have not received what you've asked for. But here's the thing, Um, people can't read your mind, and you will not get anything that you don't ask for. So it is really important to let people know what you want, what you need, and, and encourage them to do the same for you. So that is today's tip. If you want something, ask for it. And I want to challenge you to ask for something this week. And before I bring on Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny, I just want to uh, tell anybody who's not yet a member of my free Facebook group called Your Last First Date to please join us. This is a group for women over 40 who are either dating or in a relationship and want to grow and uh, be positive, not complain, vent. Um, that's not the group for that. We are a really very focused Um, really lovely group of about 3,000 women and I have incredible monitors who keep this group moving and uh, safe and sane so uh, go over after you listen to this and join us at your last first date and now for my guests Dave Kenny is the co-founder and executive director at Emergo Recovery along with Susan Kenny who is the co-founder and director of therapeutic wellness at Emergo Recovery This is a private residential recovery and wellness center focused on a brain-first approach, and we'll find out what that means in just a minute. With over 30 years of experience in human development, Dave pioneered Actualized Recovery, an integrative brain-first approach to lasting recovery, and Susan has dedicated her extensive career to helping individuals reclaim their life after struggles with debilitating challenges. Together and along with the team at Emergo, they empower clients toward greater well-being and happiness. Welcome to the show, Dave and Susan. Sandy, it's great, a great honor to meet you and be here. Yeah, thank you. So, did I pronounce it correctly? Is it Emergo, Emergo? I don't. You've got it. It's Emergo, and it's a Latin root of the word to emerge or to rise above, and we both believe that that's what we all strive to do, whether that's in our relationships, our families, our home, and our careers, just to rise above. Mm, I like that. 
So um, if you can explain brain first, um, what is that? Susan, you want to take a shot at that one? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so so we, we, um, we begin our program by, first of all, looking at the actual brain itself. And this isn't a lot different if you look at anything else that people are struggling with. If you have a heart issue, if you have a liver issue, people look at the organ and decide what the best course of action is. And many, many years ago, we decided that, wait a minute, people are struggling with lots of debilitating mental challenges. Why not look at the brain first and let the brain tell us through functionality what's actually going on. So that's how all of this started, Sandy. So when you say look at the brain, are you talking about MRIs? Um, what, what are we, how are we looking at the brain? Mm-hmm. So we use a technology. In the U.S., the technology is called Ferriset, and it is through brain state technologies, and it's with EEG sensors that allow us to create a map of, of what's happening in the brain. And that's that's really important. We have the nervous system is connected to the brain through the body. And so the physiological feelings that you feel when you have anxiety or when you have depression, they're felt throughout the whole body, but it's because the brain is driving how the body is feeling. So we use, we use brain states work to be able to, first of all, look and identify brain function. And yeah, Sandy, if I could jump in. Mm-hmm. I mean, fundamentally, we all know that the brain drives behavior. And you actually don't need technology a lot of times to see this. Someone who's, whose sleep is disruptive um, and, and, or who is anxious, a lot of anger and rage, substance abuse issues, you can relate all those back to a brain that is in a dysfunction state. And so approaching things, you know, we all know how to eat for our bodies. So we know how to eat for our brain. And when our brain is in a more harmonious state, a more calm state, our ability to have intimacy, our ability to have a deeper connection is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I see. I mean, I see this in my practice as well. And I always like to understand what's going on underneath because I think that without connecting the dots and really seeing what the issues are, it's hard to move forward. Well, it's also first understanding that talking about things when I and I don't physiologically think about how that organ's working doesn't. That's like trying to talk your liver healthy. It's not going to work. And so there are some things we can do there to help um, our body and our and our brain is this thing called neuroplasticity. And now there's something called and, and neuroplasticity is our ability to help our brain rewire and restructure. So what we have today is not what we have tomorrow. And there's a new um, um, part of neuroscience, self-directed neuroplasticity, which is I'm responsible and I can guide my brain into a different state so that I I am able to sleep and get rest. I am able to, um, to... interact socially without being overwhelmed or without having to have a drink or to have marijuana, which all of that negatively impacts all of my relationships. Mm. Yeah, that's very cool that um, people can self-direct. 
Like that must uh, that must have be revolutionizing this this whole science. <laughs> it it kind of is. Is that yeah. what we have today is not what we have tomorrow? But think of our bodies. If if we ate a certain way and trained a certain way, you can change your body shape. I'm, I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying it's going to take a day or a week or a month. But there is the ability and the opportunity is there for those of us who want to learn more about how to eat healthy, not just what I put into my body, what I don't put into my body. Because there are some neurotoxins, cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana is a neurotoxin. Um, and, and they long term do damage to what Susan pointed out is the functionality of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about, you mentioned intimacy a minute ago, that when our brain is in a calmer state, we can create more intimacy. So can you speak to that a little more about how the brain-first approach and lifestyle helps with intimacy? Be happy to. So you want to take a run at intimacy in the brain? Or? Yeah, from a neuroscience point of view, so again, I, I work with the brain. So when our clients come in, I get to see them on day one and I get to better understand how the brain is functioning. And so there's certain areas of the brain, if they're overactive or underactive, it's really tough for us to get through a day to even to manage ourselves, let alone have a partner. So beginning with the brain first approach, if, if your health is most important, and and as Dave said, you're looking at food that feeds the brain, Um, you're taking care, you're getting sleep, all of those things, then intimacy is greatly impacted because you have extra energy to share. So a brain that isn't functioning properly isn't managing energy very well. And so there's a much deeper connection because you have a, you're more connected with yourself, so therefore you're more connected with your intimate partner as well. Hmm, that makes sense. And Dave, did you want to add to that? I was just thinking about some practical things too that that we do, and anybody can do at home. And, and gratitude has been shown to be very powerful. Um, and and so one of one of the things that we could do at home, and everybody can do, is to write. Uh, things that we're grateful for, write five things that you're grateful for, do it at night, uh, do it first thing in the morning, but also why are you grateful for them? So I'm grateful for my dog because, and you got to fill that in too. Sometimes that's the missing element because it, it lacks the emotion and the energy there. Um, meditation has been shown um, to really help a brain. And we used to think meditation calmed brain waves. It actually does the opposite. It actually helps us be more alert. Uh, one of the one of the meditation techniques we've done tra- TM or transcendental meditation before that's been great, but also now we're, we're using Ziva meditation Z I V A and, and uh, Emily's out of New York does a beautiful job. There's a two week education course you can find that online. And Ziva meditation and the meditation in, uh, in general has been shown really to help in brain function, and also the brain. Sandy, the brain loves oxygen. It loves, it loves good fats, it loves good proteins, it loves water. Oh, by the way, that's mostly what our brain's made up of, but it also loves oxygen. So movement is really important. It doesn't have to be a sprint or a marathon, but walking stairs, um, going for a walk a couple times at work, um, those things to increase oxygen into the body and the brain really do help and have a magnificent impact on brain function. 
makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, in my but, but practice, talk, I talk a lot about. Uh, I'm sorry, I just want to say I talk a lot about self-care and a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, when we take care of ourselves, we have the bandwidth to be present for other people, and when we neglect ourselves, we don't. Absolutely. We've all learned, though, about nutrition for our body and movement for our body. Never, I mean, no one ever taught me until I got into neuroscience about the impact on brain function. And you, you can actually have a bigger brain. And you can actually incre- uh, create a smaller brain. And a lot of it is what we do and the environment that we live in. So an enriched environment, and, and this was tested with uh, um, Mary Diamond, who did it in the 60s, a powerful, wonderful neuro, a female neuroscientist, and most of whom was discounted for a couple decades because she was a woman doctor in the 60s. Yes, true. But she discovered that the rats that were in an impoverished environment, uh, their brains actually shrank in size. And rats that were in a uh, enriched environment with friends and play and, and and tunnels and sacks and all of these things, their brains actually grew in size. So it's also looking at our environments. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Um, so you want so the bigger you often, brain. Size matters. <laughs> size matters. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's interesting because they're doing so much brain study on Alzheimer's now and how to prevent certain, you know, brain atrophy diseases and um, telling older people to keep learning new things, to keep challenging yourself, growing your brain. And I just think there's so much wisdom in that. We do, too. Yeah. So the, the the part part of that too is it's been shown that nutrition has a significant impact on that. Um, we we can see early signs of of um, dementia and Alzheimer's in the brains years before it ever comes. Up. Uh, we 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 see the symptoms of it uh, externally, but from a brain point of view, you can see it. And it's been shown that specific diets can help. Uh, quality of life. I won't say reverse it. It's a degenerative disease, but it's certainly it's about quality of life. And so when you eat a really brain-healthy lifestyle and live that, you can create greater quality of life for people. Yeah. So when you say nutrition, like, can you give us some examples of good nutritional health for your brain? You bet. So what what we follow is a paleo diet. Paleo is a lifestyle, but we also follow for brain health a paleo diet. And that means that you're, we actually, the paleo diet gets a bad rap thinking that it's just a carnivore diet, but it is 75% of your plate is going to be vegetable, fruit, great fats, which are coconut, avocado, um, great olive oils, things like that, and a moderate serving of protein. But the protein source is important as well. And so grass-fed, grass-finished beef, uh, fresh, wild-caught fish, not farmed fish, is really important because the quality of the meat is very, very different in how you source it. And timing is important, too. The brain also needs to have a certain amount of time before it goes to sleep so that it can do the, the things you talked about, Alzheimer's, Sandy, we know now that if you eat too close to bedtime, the brain actually doesn't get to do its process, which is 
it's called brainwashing essentially because the brain has different neurochemicals that go through and clear out any toxins. But if you're eating too close to bedtime, then no matter, you know, you can eat a, a great diet all day long, but if you're eating at the wrong time, that can be really destructive to the brain as well and really erode sleep. Hmm. Yeah, now there's been a lot of talk about stopping eating at like 7 p.m. or whatever. It depends, I guess, on what time you go to sleep. Is there a certain amount of yeah. hours that you want to give your brain? I, to... Ideally, four hours. If mm. you can stop eating four hours before you go to sleep, that is the the ideal time. Um, what, whatever you can do. And two, eating, people who tend to eat a lot of sugars or have a glass of wine or two after in the evening. The sugars are really, really tough for the brain as well. And mm. so um, having having a good meal, being satiated is, is really important. And then maybe doing some movement or doing other things at night instead of eating. Mm-hmm. And, and Sandy, sense. if I could jump into the other thing, sure. is that last, last two hours, but I'm going to certainly stress the last hour before bed, please make it sacred. So what I mean by that is treat that as, as one of the most important hours of the day for yourself. Turn off all your technology. No more emails. And, and I know we set alarms to wake up. I'm going to offer to set an alarm to go to bed. So set the alarm at, you know, at 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock, lights in the house are getting dimmed and turned down. Uh, all technology is going off and out of the room if you can, uh, if at all possible. And if you think you need a phone, get a landline in the, in the house for emergencies. A family need to get a hold of you. But turn off all of your technology. At the very least, get good quality blue light glasses because blue light actually tricks the brain. It goes, into the, it goes into the eye to the brain and it says, oh, it's morning time. And that's what blue light looks like to the brain. And so it does not release any melatonin. It, 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 it's like, oh, this is, I mean, if you want to forget about coffee in the morning, if you want to wake up in the morning, use your phone, stare at your phone because <laughs> it actually stops any melatonin. So it's, oh, it's time to wake up. It's like a sunrise. And so really treat that last hour, um, you know, if you can with TVs and things, turn it off, get the TV out of your bedroom, treat that last hour as sacred to prepare for sleep. Sleep doesn't start when your head hits the pillow. If, if that's when you think it begins, that's why we're staying awake while we're laying in bed and having a hard time going to sleep. So we need to do a few things that if you want to think about how, how the, our evolution, our human evolution, we didn't have these things even, you know, 70 years ago. And that and When it became nighttime, we began to shut down and go to bed. And so our bodies evolutionary-wise respond that way. So really treat yourself and your family with that last hour before bed. Yeah, and I Sandy, that. that loops back to the intimacy as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if couples are, are turning off technology and the house is becoming quiet, there is a much greater chance of intimacy than, than if the TV's on and everybody's doing their own independent thing. And I got to tell yeah. you, that sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds good to me, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that, you know, people, couples sit together and they're both on their phones, you know, in the same room. And it's, mm-hmm. um, but there is something I wanted to share with you because I have a client who didn't want to turn her phone off at night because 
she has a child who had some issues and she wanted to be reachable. And my son told me this. On the iPhone, you can put the do not disturb um, on your mm-hmm. phone so nobody yep. can call except for your favorites. And you can designate yep. family members. So a lot of people don't know that, and they keep their phone on, and they get notified when Facebook goes off and when text messages come in. And, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so this is it's an important piece because I think some people are just so scared to – be unreachable. So it's not just with the landline, but you know you could do it with your cell phone and keep be very selective about who you let in. Um, so I, I think it's just important. I, I, there are too many people who say, "Why did you text me so late at night?" Well, why was your phone on, and why were you accepting yeah. texts? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a great. It is a great tip, and it's practical. And I agree with the one thing you said: be selective. Yes, be selective about everything in your life. <laughs> yeah, technology is wonderful, but it's wonderful if we're in control. So those exactly. those bells and buzzers and things were they're meant to catch our attention, but we have the ability to to turn all of those off, and we turn on the phone when we want it, or we look at the phone when we want to check emails, not let the buzzers do it. Yeah, I so agree with that. I think a lot of people are afraid of social media because they're so afraid it's going to take over their life. And again, we have the ability to limit our time, limit what we see. We can unfollow people. We can limit when we email. I mean, it's we can take back control over all those things, and it's just so crucial. Um, I wanted to get back to um, sex because um, we were talking about intimacy, and you also say that you can have better sex with a bigger brain. So can you speak to that? Susan, would you like to start with that one? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of <laughs> Yes, I would. There's there's a lot of science and and a lot of practicality again going back to the brain. So emotional intelligence, when you have a brain that's functioning well, you have your partner and you have emotional intelligence, which is just being able to manage emotions. And the foundation of great sex is communication. So, again, having the brain in functioning very well means that you're very emotionally intelligent, which is very different than IQ. And EI, as it's called, is just the ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and in other people. And that's the foundation of having great sex, too, is is being able to connect with somebody. So it's a learned skill, but it also changes the neuropathway. So the more you focus on emotional intelligence, the better communication, the better sex. I'll even go a little bit further that, if we're living a brain-healthy lifestyle, we've already talked about, without getting too deep into it, you can do some things, Sandy, to increase brain and, and, and have a larger brain that also functions better. Well, if we're doing that, our connections and relationships are better and good. Uh, there's less drama and there's more positivity there. There's more deeper, deep, meaningful connections, and we can get into positive psychology in a minute. But there's more oxygen. There's better food. There's less, less toxins. Oh, wait a minute. What organs work better? We have more oxygen, better foods, and so there's greater stamina. The organs are working better. So even from a 
physiological point of view, you will enhance uh, the enjoyment of sex by living a brain-healthy lifestyle. Mm. That sounds good. Sounds like we're going to get some people going, uh, getting their brain healthier. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so you mentioned positive psychology, and I love positive psychology. Um, So, yeah, what were you going to talk about in terms of our own, our relationships? Susan studied this more than I have. Yeah, Mm. so so positive psychology is just the study, and, and it's the focus of, of what we use in, in, uh, when people come to our program. They stay with us four to six weeks, and the, the foundation that we begin to build is through positive psychology, and it's the study and science of happiness. And so the, the, biggest, the, the biggest way to determine happiness, and they, this is studied worldwide, so it doesn't matter what your demographics are, what your gender is, what religion is, anything. When it all boils down to it, happiness comes from deep, meaningful relationships. And so that's the the core of all of our intimacy is is deep, meaningful relationships. But it's certainly the the foundation of happiness worldwide. Mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think, well, I was born a certain way, or I was born into this family, and I've just said it's it is the way it is. Um, which I so disagree with. And, um, you know, and so deep, meaningful relationships can be scary for people, especially if being vulnerable didn't didn't work out well for them earlier in life. So how do you help people who have that fear of, of really going deep and being intimate? I know it's a big topic. Yeah, great but. question. <laughs> yeah, it, but... It, you're right. The, the foundation is, it goes back to the first thing that, that you were talking about before we started the show, is asking for what you want. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's being vulnerable, and that's a big fear. And so, again, I, I can relate it back to we, we begin by teaching emotional intelligence because the first person that you're connecting with is yourself. And so there's a, there's a great book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's written by uh, Travis Bradbury. And if you, if you purchase the book, you can take the online test as well. And so it's actually cheaper to buy the book and take the test than it is just to take the test online. But I think that's the foundation that we begin with. Is that it's a real self-discovery first. And as you begin to really know yourself and develop core values and, and really understand who you are, then you take that into your relationships and it, it's not fearful anymore because you're, you are not fearful of being alone anymore. So if that makes sense, Sandy, we, we work with people first with the relationship with themselves and doing mm-hmm. a lot of self-discovery through positive psychology and a lot of, you know, VIA strengths and values and action uh, mm-hmm. strengths, you can hop onto their website and have. Yeah. The, so the more you know yourself, the easier and less frightening it is to put yourself out there in a relationship because then if it doesn't work, you know that it wasn't the right relationship. Right, and you trust you that you can make better choices because you know yourself better. I think that's that's right. such a big part. Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time working with values and um, boundaries, communication skills, 
all of that comes yes. from the self-awareness. You have to go inward first before you can set boundaries with others and let them know what you want and don't want. Um, but yeah. you definitely Before have, I met Dave. Yeah. I was just going to say, before I met Dave, Sandy, I had to kiss a lot of frogs. That's, <laughs> you know, I, I had to establish, you know, no, I don't want that. And then when, when he showed up, we married after our 40s and our 40s. And as soon as I met him, I thought, now that's a man that I can have a deep, meaningful relationship with. You know, we mm. shared such commonalities and we shared such core values. But I had to do the work for me before I could identify when I met him that we were going to be a good partnership. I really knew myself before I met Dave. Yeah, and that's that's the ideal. Um, so you answered the question I asked before we went live that I'm still dying to know if you were married or not. Um, yeah. So that's wonderful. Not not and only think, married, if I can jump in, Sandy, that, yeah. that when we first met, I used to say to Susan, what am I missing? Because I'm... And I was in my 40s, too, and this incredible woman who's grounded and strong and beautiful and clear, and I'm going, what am I missing? Like, why are there so many dumb guys out there that have missed this beautiful woman? And mm-hmm. it wasn't that. It it was just that the, it was the right time, and it was mm-hmm. the right connection. And, and, and so I offer that just to any of your listeners, too, that you know, at least in my experience, that came when I was ready for it, too. And and the other thing to to support your question earlier is when we desire something else. Yes, we can get to know each, ourselves and, and do all our work, and I've heard that so much, but that may not be enough. So I just encourage people really to look for a coach, a seasoned good coach, somebody you connect with, somebody who's got the education, and be be mindful of that. A coach takes us from where we're at today to just that desire, I want something more, whether it's in a relationship, business, finance, whatever that is. And so I add that also to uh, for people's consideration today is to think about a coach that may fit for you, and there's some great resources out there. Yeah, I mean, that's why I went into the field, because I loved the practicality of coaching, the fact that you can get super clear about who you are, what you want, and take the steps to get there. And we can't see for ourselves what someone else can see for us. But good coaching is just that. Good coaching is observing and then either mirroring or sharing back so that so that you've got feedback. And, and so that's a powerful coach. Yes, yes, deep provocative questions and all that, but the power through observation and then sharing. Now I'm able to, to maybe make some different decisions. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so powerful. Well, the work you're doing is really powerful, and um, and I love how you met. Also, I think you know, it just it gives a lot of people hope. I think that what I have seen is that people often will look for the wrong things in a partner because they don't yet know themselves, and so they look for some of the outer qualities, the you know, the good school and the the certain look and the type, and they're missing kindness and you know, shared values and the really foundational parts that make a relationship work. And I think as we do this work, we get more and more clear, and we're actually repelled by the things that we might have been attracted to in the past. 
Yeah, I agree with that. What I was looking for in my 40s was a lot different than what I was looking for in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Dave and Susan. This has been a, a really stimulating conversation. Um, I really hope that people will go and check out your work and learn more because this is a fascinating topic. So can you share with us how they can find you? Well, they can find us at um, Emergo Recovery, and it's E-M-E-R-G-O, and also on LinkedIn, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny, and it's (laughs) EmergoRecovery.com. Yes, EmergoRecovery.com. Thank you. Yeah, I got the .com part. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your wisdom today, and for helping people keep their brains sharp and their love lives strong. I love your work, Sandy. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please rate and review us. Don't forget to join Your Last First Date Facebook group. And I hope that you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. 